Lord, I, I ask that you would bless the study of your word. And Lord, we thank you that apart from you, we can do nothing. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would minister. And so, Lord, though we aren't standing, Lord, we still recognize that we honor your word. We honor your word. We tolerate the word of the teacher. But God, please, I pray that, that what you would give me to share would be from your heart. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless us and inspire us, challenge us, and bless us and provide for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, Gideon, as we've been taking a look at it, Gideon uh, was called a mighty man of God. And God had called him when he was picking grain in a wine press, hiding from the Midianites. The Midianites had taken over uh, all of Israel because they were um, in rebellion to God. And that's what the Lord did. He put them under suppression to the Midianites. And really the bottom line is we get into problems in life and we, we lose our freedoms when we walk away from the Lord. In him is the fullness of joy. He is the, the way, the truth, and the life. He is true freedom. And when we walk away from the Lord, we find ourselves enslaved to our passions. We find ourselves enslaved to everything. And the Lord is the one who sets us free. We'll know the truth. The truth will set us free. As we prepare to take a look at the life of Gideon and this battle that he's about to uh, undertake, before we do that, I wanted to share with you uh, something the Lord put on my heart in relation to the text and also in relation to today uh, as I prepare to go to St. Paul's Baptist Church for the reconciliation service. Uh, at St. Paul's, uh, we're going to be dealing with uh, just the racial tension. Uh, we have a number of members from this primarily white church um, looking around. Uh, I would say it's predominantly white. Um, and, and you go into St. Paul's and it's predominantly black. And we're sister churches, and we're going to combine together on, on this day. There's going to be a number of other churches joining us. And our heart is for everyone to realize that there's no color to the Lord. Uh, we all bleed the same color. And he has created us in his image. And Elohim, that term, we've been created in the image of God. The word God is Elohim, which means singular plurality or unified diversity. Uh, God is manifold, manifested in, in a many manifold picture of, of what humanity looks like. And, and we've been created equal in this beautiful picture of that. And so we're going to be at St. Paul's and we're going to ask God to minister. Now, as you know, in this racial tension in the country, um, you're going to find at St. Paul's that a number of folks are struggling and they hurt. And you might see some folks wearing shirts um, that uh, a Black Lives Matter shirt. And, and you might find yourself in the narrative on the side that looks at that shirt and you're frustrated and you might be upset and it'll cause you tension. You want to leave don't. Uh, on, on the folks that are wearing the Black Lives Matter shirt, there'll be someone else wearing a shirt that'll cause them to want to leave. And everybody's going to find themselves in the narrative. Um, as a police officer is shot, um, you look on the internet and you'll see the narrative on both sides. And you can find yourself in that narrative. If, a, if, if a, uh, a, an African American is shot by a police officer, you'll see a narrative on both sides of the internet and you'll find yourself in the narrative. One will vilify and one will, will elevate and one will vilify and one will elevate and you'll find yourself in the narrative. And, and as we, we talked about last week, and I asked you how many of you come from a two-parent home or you've been happily married, you raise your hands a large amount. I asked how many of you have graduated from high school, large amount. I asked how many of you uh, went to college, large amount. And I said, in contrast, if we were to do that at Jesse Alvarez's church, very few would raise their hand. It's a different narrative. And so we find ourselves in a, in a country that's torn by racial tension, and we're trying to figure out answers. 
And some folks say you're getting too soft or you're not siding with the police officers or you're siding with whatever it is. Everyone finds themselves in the narrative and we want to argue. Some people think they have a solution to it. We need to federalize the police or we, we need to have more social welfare programs or we need to, everybody has some sort of political solution they believe is necessary. And then the narrative establishes again and the arguments continue. But the Lord showed me something very interesting. And it was a devotion God had given to a member of our congregation. They sent it to me, and it blessed me so very much. And it was out of Jeremiah 18. Very simple. Jeremiah 18, verses 11 and, two, uh, 11 and 12. Excuse me, 11 and 12. I'll read it. You don't have to turn there. Jeremiah was a contemporary of Ezekiel and also of Daniel. They all were together when Israel had lost their nation and had been sent into exile. And God speaks to Jeremiah, and he said, Tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Return now, every one from his evil way, and make your ways and your doings good. And they responded and said, That's hopeless. So we will walk according to our own plans, and we will, every one, obey the dictates of our evil hearts. So the idea is, we're not going to find a spiritual solution to this. We're going to figure it out on our own. We don't need you, God. And you know why God is going to fashion a disaster? Because we've walked away. You know why we're $19 trillion in debt? You know why we have racial tension? You know why we're, we're having all these struggles and why in the last 30 days, 2,230 people have been killed by radical Islamist attacks 226 terrorist attacks in 32 nations in the last 30 days. Exponentially increasing. You know why? We've walked away from the Lord. We're a nation that gives him lip service. And God looks, and, and, and we're in this stage where we're wondering, what's the answer? And we're all going to yell at each other and fight. But the answer, I believe, is found in Ezekiel, the contemporary of Jeremiah. And Ezekiel said this, the word of the Lord came to me again, and this is Ezekiel 18. The word of the Lord came to me again saying, what do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel saying, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. See the proverb, what do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel? And the proverb was this, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are on edge. If I were to use that in contemporary terms, it would mean uh, our parents ate ice cream, that's why my teeth are bad. Really what they're doing is everybody's a victim. And we're blaming somebody for our misery. We're blaming everyone for our failure. And the Lord says, as I live, you shall no longer use this proverb. Behold, all souls are mine, God says. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. And now he brings it home. And this is the problem. Why we're facing everything out there is a symptom. Here's the problem. Verse 19 Yet you say, God speaking, yet you say, why should the son not bear, or no, you say, God is speaking, and, and the people are saying this, why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? Why can't I blame someone else? It's the police's fault. It's the African-American community's fault. It's the Democrats. It's the Republicans.
Why should not the son bear the guilt of the father? Why can't we blame each other? And the Lord says, because the son has done what is lawful and right and has kept all my statutes and has observed them, he shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. You are responsible for your own actions. But if a wicked man turns from all of his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes, does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live, and he shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him. Because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live. And then it drops down in verse 25. The people complain. They say, the way of the Lord is not fair. That's just not fair. I deserve. Be careful when you say you deserve something. The way of the Lord is not fair. Hear now, O house of Israel. Is not my way which is fair and your ways which are not fair? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he has committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive. Because he considers and turns away from the transgressions which he has committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, the ways of the Lord are not fair. Oh, house of Israel, it is not my ways which are, are, are fair and your ways which are not fair. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that the iniquity will not be to your ruin. Cast away, you, all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord. Therefore, turn, repent, and live. And in Jeremiah 18, the people said, Therefore speak to the men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus the Lord says, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster, devising a plan against you. Return now, every one of you, from his evil way, and make your ways and your doings good. But the people responded and said, This is hopeless, so we will walk according to our own plans, and we will, every one, obey the dictates of our own hearts. When you become apathetic, and fatalistic and hopeless you're in sin because my God is a God of hope the God of the Bible is a God of hope the Bible says we his people are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus Jesus said in Matthew 5 you alone emphatic are the light of the world meaning his people he said, you and I alone are the salt of the earth. We are the preservative, the moral preservative. We are the truth. We are the ones that bring life and light and preservation. But if we keep this under a bushel, the world dies. And under that bushel, we say it's hopeless, and I don't want to step out into the world. And we give up. And we say it's too overwhelming, and it's too daunting. And we become apathetic, and we become fatalistic, and we become hopeless. And the gospel is a place where we come to church simply to have our ears tickled. And we get tired of a pastor who just keeps pushing us. And I said earlier, and I don't want you to leave, but the reality is if you are fatalistic, hopeless, and apathetic, you won't last long here. Because our, our calling from the Lord is to go and to make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The fact that he's with us 
And, and we come to a place in our lives where ministry is a burnout. We get tired of it. And one of the, the assistants to Chuck Smith, who started the Calvary Chapel movement, God started it, but God used Chuck. One of his assistants that was instrumental in discipling all the early pastors, his name was Romaine, and he was an ex-Marine drill instructor. And every Calvary Chapel pastor in the early years was discipled by Romaine. And they'd come to him and they'd go, oh, I just feel so burned out in ministry, and I just feel... And, and, and Romaine wasn't a man who had a good bedside manner. He would look at him and he'd say, he'd say, ministry burnout is stupidity. Have a nice day. Because Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And one Calvary Chapel pastor that remembers Romaine saying that had, had cried out to the Lord, and he just said, Lord, I don't want to be in the ministry anymore. And I know how you feel, because I'm just like you. I'm probably worse. God takes the, the foolish things to confound the wisdom of the wise. He takes the weak things. I'm behind the pulpit because I'm the weakest of all of you. And I know what it's like to say, I don't want to do this anymore. It was a hard week. And on top of it, there's, there's, I, I've got a massive decision in 48 hours. I've got an office I'm running for in November that I've got to gear up. I, I, and, and I've got, it, I just, I get it. I get it. Lord, I don't want to be in the ministry anymore. I, I get it. And, and God has you in a ministry in the workplace. God has you in the ministry in the school. God has you in ministry in the civic arena. God has you in ministry in the entertainment field, wherever you are. And I know there's days where you're just, just like the Yates, where you're in Moldova and you've been working at it for, for 16 years and you've got a church with nine families and you, you just say, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be in the ministry anymore. And you know what God's response was to the pastor who had said that? God says, I never wanted you in the ministry. I wanted the ministry in you. You see, when you get tired and burned out, it's because you're not abiding in the Lord. Abide in Him and you'll produce much fruit. It's not by might nor by power, but by His Spirit. Are you tired and burned out? I guarantee you, you're not in the Word. If the Word is in you, then the ministry's in you. God wants the ministry in you, He doesn't want you in the ministry. He only, he only wants us dead that he might live. And he causes us to come alive by his word, which is living and breathing and sharpening a two-edged sword. And so with this picture of this idea of saying, God, it's overwhelming. It's hopeless. All that is, is apathy, fatalism, and disobedience. You want to talk about hopelessness? Gideon. Gideon. 132,000 Midianite soldiers. Camels, armor, as far as the eye can see. Women and children, over a quarter million people. And he blows the trumpet to call everyone together and only 32,000 Israelites show up. And prior to that, God had found him in a wine press, sifting wheat, hiding from the Midianites when he called a mighty man of God. And Gideon still isn't convinced, and, and he has God show himself. He sees God face to face and lives. God consumes the sacrifice on the altar and envelops it in fire and blows his mind. He's still not convinced. He says, I've got this fleece. I've got this lambskin, lamb's wool. Um, what I want you to do is I, I want you in the morning dew, I want the, the, the fleece to be wet and the ground to be dry. 
wakes up in the morning and it's just exactly as he requests. He goes, okay, God, would you reverse it? Would you make the fleece dry and the ground wet? I hope I should remember that. And God did it. He reveals himself four times to Gideon. And Gideon finally says, all right. And he musters the troops and he calls for them and 32,000 show up. And God says, Gideon, there's too many. Gideon's like, it's already 10 to one, boss. Well, close to it, eight to one. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to apply Deuteronomy 20, my word. I want you to tell all the folks, listen, did you just get married? Do you have a wife you want to go home to be with? You go on home. Did you just buy a new house? Do you got things that you need to, you got to refurbish the kitchen? You go home. Did you get a new RV and your 401k mature? You, you go on home. And then he looked and he says, and anyone else who's just afraid, go home. And you know what? In this day and age, with what we're up against, if that's your priority, go home. Go home. And I don't say that derogatorily. I don't want anyone to leave. And if you leave, I, 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 don't, I don't say that because it's judgment and I judge you. God even said go home. He wasn't angry. He just said, I get it. You don't have the fight in you. Go home. I don't need you or anyone else, God says. It's not the number of people. See, when you go home to your things, life is temporary. Don't hold on too tight. But you stay with me, God says, and I will show you great and mighty things you know not of. I will blow your mind. I will increase your faith. I will allow you to see things that you never thought possible. The Levites, it was hard work. They had to put the, the, the sacrifices on the altar. They had to cut the cattle. They, they had to clean up the blood. They had to wash. They had to get the wood for the altar. It was exhausting. And everyone else just got to come and, you know, bring a sacrifice. There's the one who had to bring it into the fire. And, but you know what the priests got to see? The Shekinah glory of God. They saw the miracles before their eyes. And when the ministry's in you, you see the power of the Lord move. He increases your faith and he blows you away. Life becomes richer and more fuller. Well, for Gideon, it was whittled down. He had 32,000. God says, tell, them, tell the ones that are scared to go home. And he tells them they're scared to go home. 22,000 leave. He's down to 10,000 against 132,000 plus women and children and all the, ca- all the camels. God says, send them down the brook to take a drink. And they go down the brook to take a drink. He says, anyone who gets down on all fours to take a drink like a dog, keep an eye on them. And anyone who kneels down and brings the water up to their face, keep an eye on them. Well, only 300 put their, you know, knee down and bring the water up. And those are the heavy set guys like myself that can't get down on all fours and they got to bring it over their belly and they're, you know. And, you know, because when you get down on all fours at 51, 52, it's like, you know, why I'm down here? Do you have a list of things? Because I don't know how long it's going to be until I get up, you know. And then so they're bringing the water up because they have bad backs and everything else. He says, good, we get rid of those guys, 300. Now I can do 9,700, okay. God says, no, 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 no. Send the 9,700 home. You're going to work with the 300. Gideon's like, are you insane? And at this point, God tells him, this is what you're going to do. And now we pick up at verse 6. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. And then the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let the other people go home, every man to his place. What did he say? He said, I'm going to deliver you. This is my battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. I'm going to bring you along for the ride. Do you want to join him? Who wants to get in the boat with Jesus? 
okay. Okay, there's 12 disciples, the rest of you. You got homes and wives and things, 401k plans. You get in the boat with Jesus, there's going to be storms. You're going to walk on water, but stink, sink, stink, and sink. And, and, and be scared to death. You're going to get to land and kiss it, and then you're going to see demons come out of you know, graveyards and screaming at you. You're going to lose your faith, struggle. You want to get in the boat with Jesus? A lot of storms. 300 are left. He says, send every man home, but I'm going to do the, the victory here. You get to watch. Verse 8, so the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands. And he sent all the rest of Israel away, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So he's looking down in the valley, and, and, and look at what they described. It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise and go down against the camp, for I have delivered them into your hand. He says, look, he looks out, in the, he looks out into the valley, and these 300 guys are there, and he looks out, and it's a sea of humanity, like locusts it's going to describe. You can imagine the fear paralyzing him. And Gideon, when he's watching 20,000 men leave and 9,700 men leave, and he's surrounded by 299 men, fat, he's thinking to himself, this is, this is crazy. He's like Peter walking on water and then all of a sudden looks around and goes, what, what, am I, what am I doing? And I have to tell you, there are times in ministry where you are looking and you're going, last week, perfect example. Those words left my mouth. Bless Teen Challenge. And you did. And I knew what was going to happen. And they counted. I'm like, oh my goodness. And, and, and there's that party fearful. We're not going to make payroll. We're gonna... And the Lord blesses. And you go, why am I worrying? And, and some of the staff, they know me. I, I, I rest through that. I, I can sleep in the boat with Jesus a lot of the time. But there are times where you, you struggle. And, and you, you go through crises in life and you start to get a little overwhelmed and you're thinking to yourself and all these things are coming down. And, and this, is, this is Gideon. And look what the Lord does. Verse 9, it happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. Gideon, I showed myself to you visibly. I enveloped the sacrifice. I made the fleece wet. I made the fleece dry. I made the ground dry. I made the ground wet. I've done everything. I've revealed myself to you. You know I'm God, and I am going to deliver the Midianites into your hand. We good with that? And then God adds verse 10. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. And you know why he said if you are afraid? Because he was. And you know what? Everyone in the room is afraid. Afraid of radical faith. Afraid of everything that's happening around us. Afraid to make a difference. Afraid to purify your home because where revival started is when Gideon began with the Lord, God said, go and clean your house. And he tore down his father's altar. Not only did he have his father's vengeance to face, but he had all the people as well. And he did it at night because he was afraid, but he did it. Everybody's afraid. I'm afraid. I, 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 I got to tell you, the odds were overwhelming in the assembly race. That was frightening. I remember calling everybody I knew to raise money. Everyone I knew. People I hadn't talked to in years were like, why are you calling me? I need money. <laughs> and, and I would work so hard. I'd, I'd get some money in the thing and I'd look at my opponent and money was just coming in. Burping a cup and money would come in for them. 
and unions and, you know, special in, bam, 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 bam. And I'm watching their bank account rise. And I'm, 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 we put our signs out in Oxnard and, and they send in a crew and they take all of our signs down and put theirs up. One night. Who does this? Where do they get this army? We go back, put them out. We didn't take theirs down, but we put ours up. They took them all down. We do a, 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 a debate and they drive in two busloads of people from Sacramento. Where do they get these people? And the fear, the fear envelops you. And you're thinking, what have you done? I remember my first six-hour meeting about oak trees. I'm thinking to myself, what have I done? But the idea is everybody gets afraid. Gideon's afraid. But the difference is he's still moving. If fear translates to apathy then we lose. If fear translates to fatalism, then we lose. If fear translates to hopelessness, then we lose. Don't do that. Keep moving. Let the Lord use you. And Gideon steps forward and God says, if you're still afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. He says in verse 11, you shall hear what they say and afterwards your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp and the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. Their camels were without number as the sands by the seashore in multitude. And Gideon's like, Whoa. and while he's there and his heart is about to beat out of his chest and he's in the enemy camp, he's only with one other guy and he knows there's 298 people up there that are fat and lazy. And he's thinking, what, in, what have I done? And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. So these Midianites were there and they're telling a dream. It's the night watch between 10 and midnight. And, and half the camp is, is half awake and the other half of the camp is half asleep. And they're switching the guard. And at this point, Gideon comes down and the man was telling the dream to his companion. He said, I've had a dream. And to my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and it came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. <laughs> if I was Gideon, I'd be like, that's supposed to encourage me? Barley bread, it's like, that's like eating grape nuts. It's awful. Barley bread. Rolls into the tent. Everybody, it's a barley loaf. Move. Oh my God. It knocked over the tent. He's listening to this dream. These two people talk, but then the kicker comes in. Verse 14, his companion answered and said, his companion interprets the dream. He goes, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand, God has delivered Midian in the whole camp. Gideon's like, how do you interpret that dream and come up with that conclusion? That could only be God. The attack of the barley loaf. You know what a barley loaf is? It's what the animals would eat. It's worthless. And Gideon's like, that's me. I'm the barley loaf. And I'm going to knock these suckers down. Verse 15, And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. He didn't worship the Lord when he saw him face to face. He didn't worship the Lord when he consumed the offering on the altar. He didn't worship the Lord when the fleece was wet and then the fleece was dry. He didn't worship. He worships the Lord when he hears a stupid dream of two Midianites talking. And then he worships the Lord. He returned to the camp of Israel. He said, Arise! We're good to go. They had a dream. And the guy interpreted it. They know we're going to beat them. They're scared to death. God's gracious. He told me when I ran, you're not going to win. 
But you run in such a way as to win. He, well, he never promised me I'd win. He told me to run. Never said I wouldn't win, but he didn't, he didn't say I wasn't. He, he, he said I was to run. Not, he didn't say I'd win. And I should have known when he gave me the verse out of Job, yea, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. <laughs> Serious. <laughs> I'm a little slow. And he says, arise for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. And then he divided the 300 men into three companies and he put trumpets into the hands of, every, of the, each man and empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise, watch. And when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. So here's how he arms his 300 men. You're gonna have a ram's horn in this hand and you're gonna have a lantern in this hand with a, a, a clay pitcher around it. Who's with me? What about the swords? No. Ram's horn, lantern, pitcher. We're going to scare them. So they're all holding this. You can imagine going, we're going to do as you do. Where's the tanks? Where's the parapet? You know, trebuchets. He says, look at me and do likewise and watch. And when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. Verse 18, when I blow the trumpet and I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say the sword of the Lord of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. This is when they're switching. So half of them are half awake and half of them are half asleep and they're like both tired. I remember I was at, at my in-law's house. The phone rang. Somebody called. I was dead asleep. I pick it up and you know, I learned this in sales. You just answer the phone. Hey, hello. How are you doing? And I mean, I don't know where I am. I don't know who was on the other end of the line. I don't know even what they said when they said hello. And I'm, you know, working through it, trying to wait for him to describe who they are so I can get a little more, oh, yeah, and I'm sounding like Scooby-Doo, you know, I don't, you're trying to clear, nothing's clear. And the people who are half asleep are getting ready to, you know, go to bed because they've been up all night on the watch, and the people who are half awake because they just got up and they're still not all there, and they're all kind of, huh? at that moment, they start to blow the trumpet, watch this, it's at that watch, so at that watch, they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. In verse 20, then three companies blew the trumpets, broke the pitchers, and they held the torches in their left hand and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So basically, they're blowing the trumpets to tell them where they are. They've broken the lantern so everyone can see the light. And then they're yelling, going, the sword of the Lord of Gideon. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty awful battle plan. Work with me here. Verse 21. And every man stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran out, cried, and fled. And when 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp, and the army fled to Bethachah and down to other parts of these other cities. And the men of Israel gathered together from Naphtali, Asher, and Manasseh and pursued the Midianites. They killed themselves. They started flipping out. The women and the children are running around and the camels are going nuts and, and the, the, the men are tired and they don't know what the noise is and they're seeing lanterns and they're, the, every one of them's had this dream that the sword of the Lord of Gideon is happening. I had the dream and they're all flipping out and they're sticking each other. It's over there. No. Oh, they're coming over there. Oh, oh I'm so sorry. Oh, who hit me? Well, hey, Joey. Why? Oh, hey, Peter. Why do you have And they're just sticking. Blood everywhere, and they're lopping off heads, and they can't see anything because there's, you know, it's just awful. And the camels are running through, and they're scared, and they're running for their lives, they're getting trampled. And all of a sudden, Israel goes, Hey, and they all start to come together and to pursue the remainder. 
Over in chapter 8, and we're going to blow through this, in chapter 8 says, verse 4, when Gideon came to the Jordan, he and the 300 men who were with him crossed over exhausted but still in pursuit. You know what that is? That's ministry. I'm exhausted right now. But I'm still in pursuit. I can't wait to be in Oxnard today. I don't care if I don't get a wink of sleep and make no sense. I can't wait to be there. I'm exhausted, but I'm still in pursuit. It's okay to be tired, but not apathetic or fatalistic or hopeless. Keep pushing. Keep pushing. The Lord will be your strength. Verse 12, when Zeba and Zalmunna, these are two of the princes, her, uh, fled, he pursued them. Gideon did. He took two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zamulna, and routed the whole army. He routes the whole thing. Verse 21 of chapter 8, Zeba and Zalmunna said, Rise yourself and kill us. For as a man is, so is his strength. So Gideon arose, killed these two guys, and took the crescent ornaments that were on their camel's necks. Crescent ornaments? I'll leave it at that. Thus Midian was subdued before the children of Israel so that they lifted their heads no more. And the country was quiet for 40 years in the days of Gideon. They returned to the Lord and God gave them victory. And I'm going to close with two passages of Scripture to encourage you. Actually, three and a half. Acts chapter 13. I'll read it to you. For the Lord has commanded us and I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. Luke is writing this. Paul was preaching the gospel. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, to the lost. You alone, Christian, that's speaking to me and you, if you call the name of Jesus your Savior, you alone are the light of the world. You alone. And you're under a bushel, and you need to break that bushel, and you need to break that vessel. God is looking for broken men and women. Not perfect. Not perfect men and women. There are none. One of the reasons why you're afraid to enter into ministry is because you think you failed the Lord. Guess what we all have? I have more than you have. I know that to be true. That's why God has me in the pulpit. I know that because the Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. And it's good to recognize your frailty and see the mighty hand of God. Because a broken vessel in the hands of God is the light of the world. And then I close with two things that Paul wrote. And I believe that Paul had this story of Gideon on his mind when he wrote these. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he wrote this. He says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. God is taking you and me, the foolish things of the world, and he wants us to be the light of the world. And if you think that you can do it on your own, you'll burn out in the ministry because you're never supposed to be in the ministry. The ministry was supposed to be in you. I can of my own self do nothing. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then finally, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and this I close with. But even if our gospel is 
our gospel is veiled. It is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves. Otherwise, we get burned out. But Christ, Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we, Paul writes, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, the clay pots, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Break it and let Jesus shine. And declare war on darkness. And don't be afraid. Contend where you are. And each of you has been strategically placed. And you were to take that ground for the gospel. And you love those folks into the kingdom by speaking the truth in love. And you be bold. You're going to be afraid. But boldness comes because you keep moving. You keep speaking. You don't remain silent. Now, I understand some of you want to go home. And I don't judge you. To each man is given a measure of faith. Yours has some time to mature. But for some of you, it's time. And you know exactly what God wants you to do. And you've been afraid. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And nothing disqualifies you. You're already broken. We're weak and foolish. You know what's precious about that? God gets all the glory. I love it when he breaks me. I love it when I realize, God, I can't do this. He says, I never wanted you to. I want to do it through you. Are you broken yet? I tell you this week, I'm broken. What do you want to do, God? I want your light to shine, and I yield. I'm not afraid. I'm not apathetic, fatalistic, or hopeless. I'm not burned out. I'm ready to light up. Let the world see you, Jesus. Don't be afraid. Let God empower you and let his light shine. Break the vessel and let God's glory be seen. Amen? Amen. We're just barley loaves. You look good. Good group of barley loaves. Now let's roll out and knock down the camp of Midian. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. We're going to close with a... Let's do a song or two as you guys feel led. If you got to go, I understand. Let me pray. Lord, as we spend a, a time of worship and prayer, just allowing this message to sink into our hearts, Lord, I pray encouragement for the body of Christ. Especially today, Lord, I pray that you would move in such a profound and powerful way at St. Paul's that it would heal our community, that we would stop being victims and blaming one another and taking the narrative that best suits us in our cultural divide. And we would look into our own lives and repent. We would stop operating in the context of fear. 
We would start living for the glory of Jesus, humble and yielded and broken, and saying, God, here am I, use me. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us and break us of our selfishness, of our hatred, of our inbred and prejudice, however it is, of our fear. Lord, I I struggle for the officers that have to sit in the back of the restaurant with their back to the wall watching the door because they know the misery of humanity. Lord, set them free of the fear. They can be vigilant, but Lord, they live with that every day. And then the alcoholism and the stuff they struggle with, it's a ministry of the Lord and they can't do that ministry without you. Please, Lord, I pray that officers would come to Christ. I pray that the, the, the communities of our county would come to Christ, whatever their race. I pray that the Prince of Peace would reign in our community. Help us, God. In Jesus' name, amen.